This is the Pete Callender Show on News Radio 570 WWNC. Well, welcome to the show. It is Monday. It's March 18th, and it is 46 degrees in West Asheville outside of the Apple Tree Automotive Superstore Studio. Thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it. A um, lot to get to today, as is always the case, drinking from a fire hose. Um, now, for, uh, for folks who were tuning in to listen to the interview that uh, I had prepped all weekend, I'm hearing myself. There we go. Okay. All right. Um, the uh, so for folks who are tuning in to listen to the uh, to the interview that I prepped for this weekend, it's not happening. I was informed today that Bill Murdoch from Eblin Charities, the CEO, who is the uh, the subject of the uh, Citizen Times uh, stories now, two of them, um, and then there was. Um, Oh, there is the rumor that there's another reporter, potentially retired or something, award-winning, that's been working on some other story. Um, that has not – it's going to be posted onto the CNN website. Everybody's all at Twitter with all sorts of little nuggets of information that they think is really, really important. Basically, it's just the rumor mill is all cranked up, you know. And so everybody who thinks they have some piece of information is just throwing it out there with reckless abandon. And um, so no, we'll just wait and see, you know, if that ever happens. Uh, and then we can all just kind of react to that, I guess. That's I'm sure that's a really great uh, strategy. But um, so they canceled. He canceled. Not going to be on the show today. So we've got other stuff to talk about. So if you were tuning in to listen to what we've been promoting all weekend, my apologies. I had nothing to do with it. Not my call. I make the time available. We offered it up. Tell your side. Tell your story in your words, not filtered through uh, any you know reporter, any any you know through the newspaper. But some people they just prefer to do it that way. By the way, there is a reason. I understand why reporters you know obviously they they want the story, um, but. There is a reason why people, and I'm not saying this is the case here. I'm just saying there, there is a reason why people would not want to be in here talking to me um, versus talking to a reporter. I just hope they recorded. The reporters did. That's a, I don't know why any print person doesn't record. They all should. right? You should always record your interviews. So this way, if anybody comes along later and says, that's not what I said. But in the past... Um, before everybody had a recording device, you know, with their smartphone. Um, not a lot of print people that I knew, this was, you know, 20 years ago, not a lot of print people I knew carried uh, recording devices, unless they were going to do like a sit-down with a prominent person or something like that. Uh, and because of that difference, there is, a, there is a reason why, you know, subjects of interviews will sit down with a print person versus come in and tell your own side of the story in your own words and all of that is that later on, if you ever need to, you can say I was misquoted. I was taken out of context and there isn't any way to prove that. 
versus coming in here <laughs> and doing an interview. And uh, yeah, whatever you said, you said it's on tape, it's on live. Everybody hears it. It's that's it, you know. Um, and that's by the way different than television as well. If you're doing a TV news story, so also a radio news story, you know, 35 second news story. You're counting on the reporter to give an accurate representation of what you said. So uh, anyway, that's not happening today. We're not going to have the interview. So, and that's all I know. That's it. All righty. Uh, so what else have we got going on? Uh, well, there's lots. There is, um, this was an interesting, I asked a fella, Tom Elliott, who uh, helps to run Grabian. Have you heard of this company? Grabian? G-R, or, or is it Grabian? I, I don't I think it's Grabian. G-R-A-B-I-E-N. Or maybe it's like Grabian. I don't know. Dot com. This company, as I've, I want to say this company started off just sort of feeding uh, audio bites to media folks. I think that's how they started. I believe so. It was basically like a radio show prep kind of uh, operation, and they apparently they've gotten bigger and they've been going well. And sometimes you'll hear their name embedded in audio, or you'll see their name across like a video. or you'll hear their name in audio, I should say. Anyway, point is, Tom Elliott, I asked him if he wanted to come on the program today to <laughs> to talk about this thing that he wrote up at the website. Apparently, he used to work as a producer at, for Laura Ingram and said it's been so long since he's been on the radio, he's afraid he would mess up my flow. I was like, dude, you have serious overestimations of the flow I am able to achieve. If you think, (laughs) talking to you, he's like, I've been out of radio for six years or something. I don't know if I'd be able to do it. Like, what's just talking on a phone with about the thing you wrote anyway. So we asked him if he'd like to come on. He's, he, he did not, he didn't want to mess with my flow. So I told him, I'm like, well, all right, you've left me no recourse but to basically read your entire article on the air. Um, he didn't seem to mind that. So I'm not going to read the whole thing, obviously. But uh, this is one of the things uh, last week that when uh, in the wake of the mosque shooting in New Zealand, I referenced and, and gave sort of these uh, these broad outlines of what the – what the shooter, what the murderer uh, mo- says was his motivation, okay? With the understanding that he is insane, he is evil, this is not actually a rational explanation for anything, but the guy wrote, the story was that he wrote <clears throat> some 200-something pages and then got so frustrated by his by the inability to get everything down or the way he wanted it. So he just threw the whole thing out and started again. 200 pages. 200 pages of insane evil rantings. Okay. that he, and, and he wasn't satisfied with that. So he, he scraps the whole thing, starts writing another one, gets it down to like, or has it up to, I guess, 74 pages. And then just decides, you know, I, I've just got to go kill a whole bunch of people. And... He says that he never finished the entirety of the work. Like there was more that he wanted to do and he just didn't get around to it. Again, evil and insane. Okay. And when 
you read the, some of the writing, you realize very quickly he is insane. And I mentioned that you know all of these murderers, all these types of uh, criminals, they have they take you know an element of of some rational argument and then they 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 twist and spin out from this piece of rational argument or data. They spin it out. I mentioned uh, Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber, uh, who was talking about you know the threats of technology and this and that. Um, and yes, there yeah, technology has downsides to it, right? But this guy, like his response was to go full Luddite and, um, which is an insult to Luddites, I understand, but, uh, and then also to, you know, target people. And I think one of them was a personal vendetta. So yeah, he's evil and insane. And his manifesto that he wrote that was published in the newspaper, um, which actually ended up leading to his arrest, that was, uh, that those were the writings of an insane lunatic, right? trying to explain to people why what he's doing isn't insane uh, and evil. Well, that's what this guy was doing. And in his manifesto, I mentioned some of sort of the uh, the, the broad topics, like uh, he's at, at different points, he says things like uh, he's an eco-fascist. He's all into like environmentalism. He says China, they've got it going on, like as, as far as uh, – political and governing systems and such. He's a big fan. He's a big fan of the Chinese model. And, and I'm, I don't know what I'm supposed to make of that, except for the fact that he is evil and insane, right? None of this stuff is an excuse or a rationalization. None of, none of this makes it okay. None of your stupid ramblings make any of what you did acceptable. So people who are trying to... And, and by the way, in his manifesto, he explicitly says that he's trying to use the attack and the murder of all these people in order to tear people apart, knowing how the two sides will react in America, pro-gun, anti-gun, and left and right, and how they will use this stuff in order, in order to advance their own uh, political agendas, and that this is his goal. He says it in the manifesto. And it makes me wonder, did the media people read that? I'm not saying you need to put it out there for everybody to read for themselves. I'm not saying you should like help amplify his voice. But you should read it as a media person so you know what it is that he would want that he wants from you. The reason why he did this if you are fulfilling his desires. Right? And maybe take that into account as you talk about the story, not saying that you that you let him dictate one way or the other. I'm just saying it needs to be a part of your decision making. And rather than do exactly what he wants you to do, maybe you think twice before you do that. Right. That's all. And so when I saw this piece by Tom Elliott, that's why I wanted him to come on and talk about it, is that he goes and he actually crunches the numbers on this stuff. And sure enough, yeah, surprise, surprise, how U.S. media is helping the New Zealand terrorist achieve his ultimate goal. There's a reason the media is selectively choosing which facts to report about this killer's purpose. In its eagerness to neatly summarize the New Zealand terrorist attack within a good guys versus bad guys context, 
the media is getting things exactly backwards and is actually helping the terrorist realize his ultimate wish. And that is what media does, right? The, the reporters and, and editors. And I remember there was, um, this was years ago, and I don't know if it still is the case. It seems to be, though. There was a, there was a mantra at the Charlotte Observer newspaper that was uh, sort of like a, uh, a unifying principle, how they would approach all stories. You know what it was? Who's to blame? That was what they would ask themselves. Who's to blame? Which is obviously a good guys, bad guys narrative. That's the prism. It's much like election coverage. It's being covered as a horse race. You've heard it referred to, right? The horse race coverage, right? Because actually going into a, a candidate's philosophy is difficult and requires some bit of expertise and knowledge from the reporters and then the editors who are looking at those things. So you've got to understand you know, a great number of political philosophies have an understanding of the historical roots of the philosophies and whatever. It's a different, it's a different wheelhouse. Whereas people who uh, are just interested in the horse race, well, heck, that's easy. I could just cover who's ahead in the polls and then media, like my company, well, they'll even put out some polls. They'll put some polls into the field, ask some people what they think, we get those numbers, and then I can race onto the air and report that, wow, people like this guy and people like this gal, and this is up from last week. Oh, and they're pulling ahead. They're falling behind. Back to you. Is that news? No. That's that's a horse race. That's That's just saying this person's up, this person's down, right? It doesn't actually provide any insight any information about anything, because it's not even lasting. It's a snapshot. And this is why, you know, this, the political strategists always say, you know, the the only poll that matters is on Election Day. And that's true. And it's also so obvious that I, like, feel insulted every time someone says it <laughs> on a show I'm watching. Uh, if you've watched the news since reports of Friday's horrific attack began circulating... You have heard that the killer was a white supremacist who hated immigrant invaders and was clearly inspired by the white supremacist movement in the United States, specifically President Trump. But this narrative reveals more about the media than it does the killer. In painting the terrorist as a simple-minded anti-immigrant zealot, the media glosses over many conflicting details at their disposal. See, this is the worst part of it. This isn't even like... You know, failing to vet Barack Obama, which, as I understand it, only Sean Hannity, he's the only one in America that did that, as I understand it. I mean, just listening to him. But um, they they didn't vet uh, Obama. And by vetting him, I mean, just like, you know, hey, how about those images of you embracing Rashid Khalidi that the L.A. Times has and refuses to publish? Right. How about that? No. Or uh, how about the lies where he, you know, created these people, this one girlfriend of his in his autobiography, or how about Frank Marshall Davis? Like, who is that guy? And There wasn't any real attention paid to that stuff. Um, it wasn't necessary. You're seeing a lot of this with Beto, by the way, as well, Robert Francis O'Rourke. Um, and it's not like 
the information isn't at your disposal. The very idea, if you are quoting from this lunatic's manifesto, then that means you have the whole 74-page manifesto, right? You could look at the other parts of the manifesto that you are obviously quoting. In fact, some of the times you're quoting sentences and then just leaving off the next sentence. When you're saying that, oh, he's all about Donald Trump and the inspirationalist, the rest of that sentence was, as a leader in policy, good God, no. So he said essentially that Donald Trump is useful for his white nationalism, but that's about it. He's, he's just sort of a, a useful idiot kind of a guy. That's what this lunatic said. But you would not gather that from the, from the media coverage. No, no, they, they want – it's like that, that lunatic who went and got up in the face of Chelsea Clinton, started screaming at her, pointing her finger inches from her face. Like, she's to blame? She's to blame for the shooting at the mosque. Okay. So let's now do uh, James Hodgkinson, huh? How about that? The guy who shot up the the ball field less than two years ago. It's only been like a year and a half. I guess we're coming up on this on, on two years now. Um, two years. Yeah, almost. But remember what happened in the wake of that shooting? Yeah, nothing. There was no, there wasn't any national conversation required about toning down the, the fiery rhetoric or anything. Leftists were, they're not responsible for a, a Bernie bro leftist who goes to a ball field screaming, this is for health care, as he tries to assassinate uh, a third of the, the members of Congress that are Republicans. So, no, 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 that's a different situation. But guy in New Zealand, who's Australian, an Australian immigrates to New Zealand bashing immigrants, Muslims really, and then goes and murders a bunch of them in New Zealand, that's Chelsea Clinton's fault for supporting Israel in America. That's because it's useful. This is, this is the obnoxious part of it all. It's so obnoxious. It's so dishonest. It's dangerous is what it is. And folks on the right are sick of it. And you're seeing this manifest more and more. Folks on the right are sick of it from you guys on the left. We really are. Just you guys trying to attach everybody to any bad, everybody on the right to any bad thing to the point where you got this guy's 70 something page manifesto and you're literally ignoring chunks of it because it doesn't fit with the narrative you prefer. And. Tom Elliott's piece at Grabian has the data on it. I'll tell you what that says up next. The Pete Callender Show on WWNC. The Pete Callender Show. First thing we're going to do is we're going to acknowledge that this guy's awesome. Monica says, uh, this is why I don't agree with social media blackouts on these events. We are ceding the narrative to the mainstream media. Uh, okay, so yeah, uh, this is a good time to say this. I actually, the night that this happened, I saw, so I forget who it was, somebody who had retweeted excerpts, and I retweeted it. I retweeted excerpts from the 
from the manifesto. And then as I'm reading through and then the, the reactions and people are like, you shouldn't be retweeting this. You shouldn't be saying this. You, you're giving him publicity. Take it down. Take it down. Take it down. And it, it prompted me to delete my retweet. Like I self-censored. And I hate the fact that I did that. I can't find the tweet now. I don't know who sent it out the other day. But that's but see, but that's the role. I guess that's why, like when I was a journalist, like that was the role that I was taught that you're a gatekeeper of the information. For example, the uh the video of the murder of Daniel Pearl. That video should that be broadcast? No. Should reporters and editors should not all, but should some of them see it to understand what it is that the video shows? Yeah, that's part of the job. That's part of being a gatekeeper. And then you say, you know what? We're not going to air this for greater widespread consumption. We will describe what it was. We'll show a still shot or something before, but we're not going. We're not going to. We're not going to, you know, publish snuff films, basically. So. That's why, yeah, you've you've got to participate in in spreading the information, knowing what what's in it, without then sensationalizing and making it purient and trying to you know to glamorize it. You 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 have to know the information in order to give the context, I guess. And that's a, and every situation is different. Everybody's different. Levels of credibility are different. I get it. It's just very complex. But the problem is, is that if we don't read the manifesto and we don't push back to Monica's point, then yeah, we seed the field. And I don't mean seeded with seeds. I'm saying we just, we give up. We're abandoning the field. And then you get these hacks in media saying that, see that this guy was inspired by Donald Trump. But when it's Hodgkinson shooting Republican lawmakers, oh, he's just, oh, he's insane. Now moving on, moving on. Uh, what, what else is going on in Washington? Oh, how about outside Washington? Let's, let's get outside Washington. Yeah, yeah. Let's look at other things around the world, shall we? But not like, for example, all of the Christians that have been massacred over the last 48 hours or so in Nigeria. Nobody's really focusing on that. I know we're all very interested in, you know, the 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 massacre of Muslims in New Zealand. But you're you're not interested, I guess, in the massacre of Christians in Nigeria, right? No, no coverage or attention paid to that story for some reason. Is it because it's on the continent of Africa media? Why? Well, why, why, why does one get billing and one not? Is it because New Zealand has a lot of white people? Really? Like I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to figure out why one story gets all. Is it because one was you No, because they used guns in the other one too. So, so what? Why does one get all of the coverage and one doesn't? This is what I mean. This is the, as, as gatekeepers, these are the questions you need to be asking yourself. But I, I doubt many people actually are. The Pete Callender Show on WWNC. The Pete Callender Show. By the way, stay tuned to the program, but of course you will. We've got a pair of tickets to give away later on. These are single-day tickets to Merlefest. I will be giving a pair away every day this week. 
on News Radio 570, WWNC. Uh, so keep listening. We'll do that later. Um, if this is, uh, by the way, if that's what you do when you're thinking about car repairs, or it's like, oh, I'll do it later, I'll do it later. Or what if, uh, what if your significant other keeps promising you that they're totally going to get your oil changed, they're totally going to do that for you, and they just don't ever do it? Because something always comes up in the you know, something always sidetracks them. Somebody else's car needs repair down the street, so they go do that. <laughs> uh, it's sort of like that deal, like the contractor's home is always the one that gets the work done last, right? Mm-hmm. That kind of idea. So, look, take matters into your own hands. Call my folks at Jimmy's Automotive, 658-3030. And it's so easy. You don't even need your significant other to take you to the shop. Because Jimmy's has loaner cars. They've got a fleet of loaner cars. You can drive one of theirs while yours is getting worked on. If it's an oil change or whatever, uh, they run it through a 27-point inspection uh, and then a test drive after any work gets done to make sure that whatever problem you brought it in for is actually fixed. Uh, And if you are bringing it in, you can drive one of their cars around, and then when your car is ready, you just take their car back and pick up your car and you're done. And your significant other never needs to know. Right? 658-3030. That's the phone number. 658-3030. Jimmy'sAuto.com. Jimmy's Automotive. It's where customers send our friends. It's where I go. Be like me. Um, all right. Uh, the piece at Grabian.com by Tom Elliott. If there is one uh, large animating theme to the killer's 74-page manifesto in New Zealand... It's sowing chaos. If there's an ideology he subscribes to, it's the ideology of nihilism or nihilism. Uh, An anti-ideology, which is devoid of core principles beyond deriving pleasure from the pain of others. The killer specifically mentions his interests in exacerbating pre-existing divisions within the U.S. and bringing them to a boiling point, which was also what Charles Manson wanted to do, remember? Wanted to ignite a race war. For every comment about his hatred of immigrants, there is another about his adoration of the environment. The manifesto appears designed to give both sides things to seize upon so that they can then turn on each other. And the media is taking his bait. I have not, and nor do I ever, blame people for violence unless that person or persons specifically call for violence and then violence ensues it's not anything i say on the radio i'm on the air three days uh, three hours a day five days a week now for almost for now this is what seven years and years before that people can take what i say if they're insane and evil people can take what i say and twist it into some sort of demented rationalization. Is that my fault that somebody... When have I ever, ever said that that would be okay to harm another person? Never, of course. But if some lunatic that happens to share my political philosophy or listens to this program, goes and does something, then, oh, that's Pete's fault. Pete inspired them to do it. No, 
I did, unless I'm specifically calling for them to go do something. But see, the left always wants to make a connection. The point is to silence me. That's it. That's the purpose, right? The purpose is to is to shut down anybody tangentially related, and that is determined by the left. Which is amazing if you think about it. The idea that they would that they would pretend with a straight face, they pretend to be sort of this dispassionate, objective arbiter of who influenced the lunatic. Look, uh, right-wingers, we think you're all crazy. Um, But we would totally call just balls and strikes on this one. We would not just, you know, willy-nilly accuse you of inspiring mass murder. But we think you did in this case. Oh, and also we think you did in every other case, too. But we are... We're just neutral in all of this. It's like the leftist uh, who says, I don't know, the Republicans seem like, you know, with Trump, that they have really ceded the moral high ground here. Oh, I'm sorry, leftist. Did you ever believe the Republicans held the moral high ground? Or are you just saying that now? You're, you're concern trolling is what's that, that's what that's called. Concern trolling. It's where you pretend to be concerned about the party that you're actually trolling. You're not concerned about the Republicans losing the moral high ground by electing and nominating Donald Trump. No, you just want their own people to feel like that. You, you're you trying to, like, inflict some shame on them. You never thought the Republican Party was the moral party, but you say that now as if, like, oh, we've lost this. Like, even the Democrats used to think we were the moral party. No, they didn't. No, you didn't. They think they are. You think you are. Right now, here it is. Oh, it's uh, it's obviously the Republicans' fault. It's obviously Donald Trump's fault here, and we wouldn't just say that. I mean, yes, yes, we hate Donald Trump with the intensity of seven burning suns. But uh, I think the case is really clear here. We we're not just saying that because of our hatred of Donald Trump. Right? We're we're just this is just objectively true. Because look. The guy wrote it in his uh, 74 pages. Oh, can I look at some of the other 74 pages? No, no, no. You don't need to read any more of the 74 pages. (laughs) You just need to listen to the the one half of a sentence that we've pulled (laughs) in order to, you know, objectively determine that you are, in fact, responsible for mass murder, as we say you are after every single mass murder. Um, the kill. This is Tom Elliott's piece at Grabian.com. The Killer's Manifesto was like a catalog of hot-button cultural flashpoints. It's clearly designed to provide fodder for the extremes on both sides. Listen to this. At one point, he celebrates white identity, but also holds up black conservative Candace Owens as one of his heroes. <laughs> right? And isn't she isn't she engaged to or isn't she getting married to a white guy? Right? Is she engaged to Charlie Kirk? I think they are, right? Or they're dating or something. Isn't that right? Which, if you are into the white identitarian thing, like, why would that be accepted? Why would you, why would that be allowed? That's the very thing that you're against, isn't it? Right? (laughs) It's nuts. Uh, If you're trying to understand how all of this can simultaneously make sense, well... You've already given this more thought than most of the major media reporters covering this story. Right? When the terrorist says he reveres Donald Trump's white identity, 
But he's then quick to add, quote, God, no, he doesn't support him as a political leader. He said, (laughs) did you hear that? Did you hear that part of that quote? He says he's open to the socialist label and even describes himself as an eco-fascist. CNN and MSNBC have yet to report either of these facts. By contrast, they have collectively mentioned his use of the word invaders no fewer than 100 times. And by the way, Elliot has a chart. (laughs) He's actually charted the words used in the media reports on each of the three cable networks. And you can see over like four days the coverage and and what words they used and then how they disappeared over time. But like, yeah, invaders, white white identity, white nationalism, that sort of stuff. Uh, These other eco-fascists never mentioned at all on – you think that's important? I think – this is, that's the one thing the guy said that he could consider himself to be. And then goes on and on for like page after page about environmentalism. But that gets left out. He says protecting the environment is just as important as preserving national identity. So why does he get labeled as a national identity guy rather than if they're both the same? Shouldn't he be a national identity eco-fascist? or environmentalist, national identitarian, right? He says they're, they're of equal importance, but you're only describing them one way, one of the two. He says communist China is the nation that most clearly mirrors his own political preferences. Communist China. Communist China. Communist But Trump, yeah. Whether wittingly or not, the media is being used here. The killer understands he could use their megaphone to use existing divisions to further turn the nation against itself. Ironically, it's the same strategy Russia deployed in the 2016 presidential race. Um... And then people on Twitter were running, were, were uh, going after the president over a tweet that he sent out. I can't believe it. Can you imagine some Muslims killed a bunch of Americans if a president were to, you know, come out and say, "All right, everybody, this is not, you know, this is not indicative of the population at large." Could you imagine? Uh, yeah, I actually, I, I can't imagine that. I, I've actually seen it occur constantly, really, since nine eleven. And 9-11, actually, that very day. Remember, this was the not all Muslims thing that George W. Bush came out and they're like, there's just a few bad apples and this is not, you know, the great, this is not to impugn a great world's great religion and the big speech, everything. And then Barack Hussein Obama, and I don't use his middle name often, but I do find it to be just a tad ironic that the guy with that middle name ended up winning the race for president, like, in the middle of the war on terrorism, right? And he made it sort of the linchpin of, gosh, uh, how many of his speeches? Probably uh, off the top of my head, every single last one of them. Yeah. Every single time it was a lecture about, you know, not all people and good people on both sides, if you will. So, yes, I can imagine that. It's what all of the people do after every kind of attack 
that has any kind of a connection to somebody yelling Aloha snack bar as they murder people. I think that's what they yell, right? Because it has nothing to do with anything other than Hawaiian smorgasbords. That's it. (laughs) Glory to God in Arabic. Right, in Arabic. (laughs) Yelled something saying glory to God. Because then they started dropping the in Arabic part, the gatekeepers of truth. They just said that this this person got in a van and started running down people in an open-air market yelling glory to God. And people said, that's not really what he yelled. It's actually not at all what he yelled. He yelled, Allahu Akbar. Well, it means glory to God. Yeah, no. No, (laughs) no, not really at all, but uh, gatekeepers of truth, right? Okay. Um, Speaking of the the arbiters of truth and such, I'm still waiting uh, to hear all of the defenders of the fair courts, nonpartisan courts, independent judiciary. There's a lot of them in North Carolina, you'll recall, a lot of people that were very, 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 very adamant about their desire for uh, you know, co-equal branches, independent judiciary, blah, 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 blah. Uh, I am still waiting. Haven't heard or seen a single reaction to the latest, uh, I think uh, this is what some of the Never Trumpers would call the preservation of norms being advanced by Democratic contenders now for the presidency. The preservation of norms, like packing the U.S. Supreme Court. Yeah, that's the that's norm preservation, I assume, amongst Never Trumpers. Why we need to put Democrats in charge. And all of the Democrats who were like, we care about an independent judiciary that's nonpartisan. Crickets so far. On this, this idea that's now gaining momentum. Politico has a very big write-up, and you'll never guess what term is never used to describe what they are proposing. Think about it. I bet you can guess it. The Pete Callender Show on WWNC. The Pete Callender Show. A man News Radio 570 WWNC. Let me tell you about your roof. Really, why do you need me to tell you about your roof? kind of embarrassing isn't it i mean just not for nothing like it's your roof right i mean you're the one living under it you got all your worldly possessions under it except for your cars although maybe your cars are in there too maybe in a garage or in a carport you got this roof it's protecting everything that you've got your biggest investment and you need me to be like hey have you checked to see if it's in working condition have you checked to see if you got some damage up there or are you just like ignoring the damage, hoping it'll go away? Are you worried like, oh, I I can never afford to have somebody come and you know fix these, make these repairs, fix this roof, or or put on a new roof? Well, here you go. Why not take very easy, simple step? Go to BalkanRoofing.com and you go to the website. 
and you can actually find out if you qualify and what your payment options and everything else. By the way, most people qualify. Heads up, virtually everybody. Um, you can get pre-approved for your payment option directly at the website. So before you even call them, which I would recommend you call, but you can go to the website. But before, you, if you just want to go to the website, you don't even have to call them, 1-800-NEW-ROOF. Um, before you even get an estimate, you get the option to see what your payment options are, what is available for you. Okay? So go check them out, balkanroofing.com, or call them at 1-800-NEW-ROOF. Even if it's for just a spot of repair work that has to be done, uh, or if it's a completely new roof, they want to work with you, by the way. They, that's why they brought their financing in-house so they can get more people access to the financing. It's very, very easy. It takes you like five minutes to get approved. Or same as cash up to 18 months. You pay it all off in 18 months. You don't even have any interest on that. Use their money. Like It's, it's a great idea. Um, they can get you a roofing system for as low as $70 a month, uh, You know, depending on uh, what, what you qualify for. All you got to do, give them a call. Go to the website, either one. Website B A L K E N Balkan Roofing, BalkanRoofing.com or 1 800 New Roof, the last roof you'll ever buy. Uh, alrighty, so a series, and by the way, I just saw a series of tweets uh, from Jeff Hauser, who is the, uh, he's the communications guy for the North Carolina Republican Party. Uh, so he's just, yeah, 13 minutes ago, he started tweeting about this very topic. And uh, I'll get to – and kudos to him because he's, he's got the receipts and he's now throwing them up to these people uh, because when – what, a year ago, year and a half ago, I think? Or no, it was – it would have been after the election or right before the election, 2016. Gosh, okay, yeah. Well, yeah, all right. It's almost two years ago. Do you remember the rumor that was being circulated in Raleigh among leftists? To be clear, I never heard this rumor from conservatives. I never heard this rumor from Republicans. The rumor always came from the left. It came from Democrats. And the rumor was that the North Carolina General Assembly Republicans were going to expand the size of the state Supreme Court. Remember? There was no plan to do that. Nobody had, there was no bill. There wasn't anybody commenting on it. There wasn't even anybody suggesting it in an interview. Nothing. There wasn't any. It was just this rumor. That Democrats were spreading around and then forcing Republicans to answer. It's the old story of LBJ where he's running in a congressional race. Remember this story where he says, uh, I want you to go put it out there. He tells one of his operatives, go out and start circulating this news that my opponent is a is a a pig fornicator. And the operative guy's like, Do you really want me to go and start telling that room start that rumor this guy sleeps with pigs? like literally has relations with farm animals. You want me to do that? And he said, yeah, do it. He said, no one's going to believe that this guy is a pig porker. And LBJ said, I I just want to hear him deny it. That's it, right? I get the sense that is the playbook Democrats still run from. And on this rumor, and this wasn't the only rumor, by the way, that the North Carolina Democrats did this with. So we hear about this rumor swirling and swirling, and we get all this, all these responses, or I guess pre-sponses, uh, from Democrats throughout the state uh, in, in various offices and, and nonprofits, quote-unquote, uh, that are you know nonpartisan, uh, good government agencies and such. 
we need to maintain fair courts and independent judiciary and nonpartisan judges and blah, 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 blah. To pack, because this rumor was out there that the Republicans were going to pack the state Supreme Court. Well, now you've got 2020 Democratic presidential candidates explicitly saying they intend to or they intend to look at packing the U.S. Supreme Court. You know how many people we've heard from on the left that have that were all about the independent judiciary and don't you dare do something like that? We haven't heard anything from these people. Nothing. So Hauser, he says, as 2020 Democrats discuss packing the Supreme Court, it's not long ago this rumor was floated in North Carolina politics. Let's take a trip down memory lane and see what Democrats had to say then. Uh, and then he's got... Um, Jeff Jackson, state senator, whining about the rumor. He's got Terry Van Dyne, who's now running for lieutenant governor from Asheville. Chaz Beasley, uh, dude from, uh, he's a, a representative from down in Charlotte. Um, how about uh, the director of Fair Elections, a liberal group? Melissa Price, she didn't like that idea, tweeted about it. Um, neither of the leaders of the liberal blog site NC Policy Watch were fans. Here's one of their quotes. Oh, and here's the other. And then there's Logan James, the lily white guy who runs the Twitter account, Yes, You Are a Racist, uh, lying about the rumor. Pretty safe to assume he ain't for court packing now, right? Here's his organization, Progress NC, standing against court packing. How about Democratic Party operatives? They seem to be in the same... It goes on from there. This is the Pete Callender Show on News Radio 570 WWNC. All righty, hour number two. This is it. You're listening to it. By the way, if you are listening on, I don't want to say the device's name. It's a female name and starts with an A, has an X in the name. There's another one, too, right? Isn't there another? Whatever. Uh, or you're listening on the iHeartRadio app. I don't know. I've been getting tweets and questions about it, and I was just talking to Brian Hall. Uh, there's some issue going on with the spot breaks, and there's music playing in the spot break, like full-on songs playing. And I don't want to get into sort of the inside baseball stuff of how radio is done, but essentially... If you're listening in Asheville versus outside of Asheville, there's you should be hearing a different spot fill, okay? And apparently it's it's all jacked up. I don't know. It's all jacked up. But if you're li- if you hear songs playing, you are listening to the correct station on the iHeart app, okay? So just enjoy the music, and I'm sure at some point it, it, you know. The trouble ticket has been sent, <laughs> and we will see if they uh, can address it and get it fixed. But in the meantime, enjoy the music. All righty. So Politico has a big story today about uh, expanding the Supreme Court. And as I got about halfway through this article, I realized there was a uh, a term phrase that hadn't been used and it was noticeable in its absence and i say that because i literally noticed it was absent okay so 
Uh, what is the term? Have you figured it out yet? What term does not appear in the story? 2020 Democrats warm to expanding Supreme Court. Tank, you want to take a stab at this? Independent judiciary? No, but good guess. Okay. Was an independent judiciary. I mean, it's none of the, it's none of the buzz phrases that North Carolina Democrats were using, or national liberal or Democrats are using when it comes to attacking Republicans with you know on court related matters or mm-hmm. policy. Mm-hmm. Here's the hint. The headline. Democrats warm to expanding Supreme Court. What phrase is not used in the three page article? Warm. No. I don't know. <laughs> all right. See if you can figure it out all as right. I go. All right. All right. Well all right. To be fair, the phrase is used once, but it's the name of a liberal group, okay? That's the only time it appears in the piece, when they're naming a liberal group that is advancing this proposal to expand the Supreme Court. Do you know what it is now? Is it nonpartisan? No. Okay. okay. I'm, I'm not good That's at this right. game. Okay. <laughs> It, well, it, the, you you are my canary in the coal mine. If I'm asking questions that are too difficult for you, chances are I'm, I've worded the question incorrectly. I've not given enough uh, leading hints. Okay, so every time I use something, a, a different description, let's say, I'm going to hit the bell, all right? So you should be able to pick up pretty quickly, okay? So again, the headline, 2020 Democrats warm to expanding the U.S. Supreme Court. It begins. A series of White House hopefuls are expressing new interest in remaking the courts. Payback for Republican aggression during the Obama presidency. After watching Mitch McConnell transform the judiciary over the past four years, liberals are demanding a bold response. And Democrats are listening. Senators Kamala Harris, Elizabeth Warren, and Kirsten Gillibrand told Politico that they would not rule out expanding the Supreme Court if elected president, showcasing a new level of interest in the Democratic field on an issue that has until recently remained on the fringes of debate. The surprising openness from White House hopefuls, along with other prominent Senate Democrats, to making sweeping changes from adding seats to the high court to imposing term limits on judges and more, it all comes as the party is eager to chip away at the GOP's growing advantage in the courts. Would you like to take a guess now? Packing. Packing! (laughs) Packing. Yes, Amos got it. He guessed it. Jerry guessed it. Um, Yes, the term pack the Supreme Court appears nowhere in a three-page article about how Democrats are warming to the concept that is generally understood to be packing the Supreme Court. As it was a hundred years ago when Democrats attempted or threatened to pack the Supreme Court. FDR. Right? We're almost a hundred years from that. And this is this is not a new idea. Okay? Democrats FDR wanted to pack the Supreme Court. By the way, you know why? Because the Supreme Court was acting as a 
an independent judiciary. That's right. The Supreme Court was saying, no, Mr. President, I know you're like kind of popular and all, and don't worry, we're not going to tell anybody that you can't walk, but we're just going to tell you now what you're proposing, kind of commie. It's kind of commie. And uh, yeah, you can't do that under our constitution. What you want to you want to do the social security program? Yeah, you can't. You really can't do that. We have these enumerated powers over here. You see, it's all written out very clearly in your copy. We have a. Would you like a copy? Here's the constitution. Right, you swore to uphold this thing, and here are all the things you can do. And you can't. You can't do that. And FDR's response was, "Screw you! I'm gonna add a whole bunch of my my favorite friends. We're gonna put them on the court and." He actually didn't sound like he was, uh, what's the Massachusetts, Boston, Boston accent. We're going to put a bunch of people on the cots. I don't like <laughs> Wasn't he from Massachusetts? I think. I don't know. I don't care. He, uh, or was he, New, was he New York? Roosevelt. He may have been upstate New York. He's a New Yorker. We're going to put a bunch of people on the courts. I'm going to put all my friends. Forget about it. He's going to put all these people on the courts in order to rule the way he wants them to rule, in true independent judiciary fashion, of course. And the Supreme Court was like, whoa, 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 slow down, Yankee. Come on, man. Like, it's in the document. These aren't our rules. And he's like, well, you better get with the program here. You better get with the communist program, or I'm going to pack the court with people that will. And the Supreme Court was like, hmm. Okay, if we just do this one decision on... Social Security, you just do this one, then it'll be okay, you know? It'll, like, this just one. Because if he starts packing the court, man, like, they'll start ruling on crazy stuff all over the place, right? And we'll be outvoted. And this thing's going to go sideways really quickly. I mean, I may be, I mean, this is merely a dramatization for, for you know, informational and entertainment purposes only. But that's essentially what happened, Okay. I feel like I'm doing one of those drunk history YouTube videos without the alcohol or the expertise. But um, this is the nature of the scheme. You cannot get done legislatively, so you pack the courts to act as a super legislative body to do what you want done. Remaking the courts, a bold response. Expanding the Supreme Court. Sweeping changes, expanding the Supreme Court, a historic power play, an equally bruising response, a conversation worth having, expand the high court. Um, oh, yeah, here we go. The pack the courts, the first mention, which, okay, so the previous sentence, they said unpack the courts, but it was a direct quote. And so here is the deal. Any is a direct quote from Ezra Levin, co-founder of Indivisible, which is a leftist group. Any Democratic presidential uh, candidate who is serious about implementing a progressive agenda has to seriously consider appointing new justices to unpack the courts. So the leftists, in true gaslighty, lefty fashion, they're saying that packing the court, you see, is actually unpacking the court. See, Politico refuses to use that word. I'm reading all of the different ways they say it. Overhauling the judiciary, expanding the high court, revising the comp, uh, sorry, revising the composition of the country's highest court, remake the judiciary is another. 
never once mentioned packing the court because it sounds nefarious, right? I mean, it sounds unethical. It sounds like something that shouldn't be done. It sounds bad. And it is. It is all of those things. That's why it, like, that's the nice thing about the term is it actually sums up sort of the, the power and the, the, the rudeness of it all, right? But they have the first mention of this is from a leftist who says that you have to expand the court to unpack the courts. This is Democrats seizing the language. That's what's happening here. This is the the first draft of it. This is what's happening, which is hilarious because there's a new advoc- uh, advocacy group that launched in October, and it's called Pack the Courts. <laughs> it's a leftist, <laughs> a leftist group called Pack the Courts, and their intention is to pack the courts. Right? That's their name. It's the only mention of the term you get it back to back that you have to unpack the court so this is them saying that we are unpacked by packing we're unpacking don't you understand it's like it's like a vacation really it's the same thing when you're packing you're really unpacking your closet if you think about it right see mm-hmm exactly and then when you come back from vacation you may be unpacking but you really are you're packing your closets back in your dresser right I mean, that's really what's happening. Actually, you're packing the washing machine first, right? Robbing the robbing Republicans of the term. That's what that that's what this article helps to do. Robs the Republican side of the argument of the term pack the courts because pack the courts is a loaded term. It is a term with a lot of weight because of its history. And because of the efforts that were undertaken in the past that were and are still generally perceived to be and agreed upon to be unethical, extortive, right? And so you want to take that language from the people who would be able to use it. And so you you flower it up and describe it in all of these other ways. It's a bold response. Uh, it's uh, it's remaking and it's overhauling and it's expanding and it's revising. Um, it's a sweeping change. It's a conversation worth having, but it is not packing the courts. You see, the courts are already packed with Republicans. You see, that's the deal. Those Republicans, they went and got themselves elected. And after that, they started pushing through judicial appointments at a record pace. You see? I know. They're monsters. They went out and got themselves elected and have now been appointing judges, like, at a record pace. Obviously, this requires a response that is as unethical as packing the courts, you see. Because it's it's really unpacking the courts, right? So we have to, right, we're going to have to do this thing that is beyond the norm, uh, the, the norms, that is, uh, that is outside the bounds, is considered to be fringe. We've got to do this thing that Democrats were oh so worried would occur in North Carolina. We've got to go do this at a national level because those monstrous Republicans went and got themselves elected and are now appointing judges. 
We are through the looking glass here, people. See, I use it all the time. <laughs> Expanding the Supreme Court would amount to a historic power play by the next Democratic president and Congress, requiring an intense legislative fight and the abandonment of many judicial and congressional norms. Which, <laughs> well, what could go wrong? Really? I'm, and I'm old enough to remember when Democrats and never Trump Republicans and conservatives were very, very, very concerned about the destruction of political norms, right, and societal norms. But I guess because Trump, well, we deserve it, you see. I swear, if the left did not have gaslighting, I'm not sure how they would actually argue. The Pete Callender Show on WWNC. The Pete Callender Show. I love this guy. This is my guy. I mean, I, I get it. Uh, Hyde Park, New York. Roosevelt. My apologies. I had nothing to do with it, but I still feel like I need to apologize. I will never apologize for uh, recommending Rowena Patton. Why would I? I mean, I apologize if she sells your house too fast. I apologize if she finds your new house too fast this oh yes my apologies i'm sorry she got you so much money for your house see i still don't even think i would apologize then if i did it would be like really sarcastically like that see three 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 forty four eighty three give her a call get your house sold fast and for more money if you're looking for a house she's got homes in all price points um she has listing storyboards and walking tour videos these things she does drone stuff too it's Anyway, it's marketing, folks, marketing. And when you're trying to get your house sold quickly, it's all about marketing. And the springtime is coming, and like 99% of sellers, they're all thinking the same thing. You probably have thought, well, we'll wait till spring. Yeah, and then there are all these houses on the market, and then uh, you got a lot of competition. And that puts downward pressure on the prices and becomes more difficult for you to get the money out of the house that you need to get out of the house. So uh, if you are looking to sell, you're thinking about selling, think about doing it sooner rather than later uh, because people who are buying right now, they are motivated to buy right now. Give her a call at 333-4483. That's 333-4483, mountainhomehunt.com, and start packing. Um. By the way, all of this talk about the uh, Politico phrases, this uh, frames the story rather in this way. All of this talk about the uh, packing the Supreme Court. This is all, according to Politico, because of Merrick Garland. That's what this is. It's just it's all you see. It's just about Merrick Garland, everybody like Democrats, Democrats. And if you think about that, they still Democrats are still inconsolable over the Merrick Garland situation. And I still encounter this, too. It's true, by the way. They really are insane when it comes to Merrick Garland. They, they like that. It broke them. Mitch McConnell broke them, a la Trump did to Kathy Griffin. Right. That was that's what she said. This is. This has so damaged the collective and collectivist psyche of the left, the Merrick Garland situation. Everything is about that issue. Which is amazing because of all, once again, 
they get so broken by something uh, by something that's not even true. Their their belief of what occurred there it's based on fallacy. It's what's amazing. They think that Merrick Garland should have been appointed to the U.S. Supreme Court. Right? They, they, they believe that Obama had the right to nominate him, and he should have got a, he should have got appointed. And if even if he didn't get appointed, the Republican-controlled Senate should have at least done an up or down vote. And McConnell refused to do that, refused to hold a vote, and said, under the advice and consent language in the U.S. Constitution, we are advising you, we will not be giving you our consent, don't even bother running him through this process. And by the way, this is what people on the left said was the equivalent of what happened to Brett Kavanaugh. The, I, had, I had liberals tell me that, that this was the same, that when Kavanaugh was getting smeared as a serial gang rapist, that that was the same as what happened to Merrick Garland, which is insane. That's insane, okay? That you've literally lost moorings to reality if you believe those two things are the same, because they're not. And uh, then they would say something like, well, he, he's probably going to end up on a court. You know, it's better than Garland got. Yeah, I don't know. That's an interesting question. Why don't you go ask, why don't you find some intrepid lefty reporter to go get an interview with Merrick Garland and ask Garland, would you have traded your process and what happened for Kavanaugh and what happened? I'd be interested to know that, right? Ask Garland, would you like to go through a nearly two-month media outrage spin cycle of being accused of a, of a gang, being a gang rapist, having to go and you know drag your family through this, get the death threats, all of that stuff. Go through all of that, but then you get the seat on the Supreme Court, forever tarred, by the way, forever stained by all of this. You know, you will have you know some what third of the country that will forever believe you're a rapist, but you get on the Supreme Court, or you could not have, or you could have just gone through the process you went through where the Republicans said, we're not going to name or not nominate you, uh, or sorry, we're not going to uh, confirm your nomination, so just don't even bother. And so you just avoid all of it. You don't even have to go through any of the work. You don't have to go through like all of the, all of the work necessary to make it through a confirmation hearing. You just avoid all of that. Which would you prefer? You don't get the seat. You get to keep your seat on the appellate court, but... But you don't get called a rapist. How about that? I think he takes that deal. I think he takes that deal. The Pete Callender Show on WWNC. The Pete Callender Show. It's a very good question. RB pundit on the Twitter machine. What is the deal with Beto jumping up on all of the countertops all the time? Like, what is the deal with that? What's the deal with that? Really? Right? Have you seen these? He goes and he does these campaign stops at, like, coffee houses and stuff. And he's already a tall, 
guy to begin with. Well, he I, well I say that I think he's a tall guy. Because have you seen the wingspan on that guy? Of course you have, because he just talks with his hands. I think he's going to get lift at some point. But he, I think he's pretty tall. It may be an illusion, though, because he's got, he's got like 180% of the neck that most people have. He's like, like God, when God was handing out necks, he apparently cut somebody to get twice the neck, I think. But whatever. The, he seems really tall. Why does he need to stand on countertops? What's up with that? I think it's a health code violation. If I'm his primary opponents, I'm sending trackers and I'm filing health code violation complaints at every one of the stops he does that on. So these, so the restaurants get nailed and then people start complaining and then he stops doing it or he gets in trouble for it or something. He's just busting the norms, man. He's he's out of the box. That's what uh, Barstool News Network says. Guys, I'm not like a normal teacher. I'm a cool teacher. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Gag. He's like Robin Williams in the Dead Poets Society or something. He he is the millennial candidate that America deserves. He really is. And oh my God, it's going to be so great to see him if he gets through the primary. Which, wow, embarrassing white male wins Democrat primary. Ouch. Anyway, it will be hilarious to see Trump do his low-energy Jeb, Lion Ted, Little Marco routine on Beto. By the way, Bobby Frank is uh, six foot four. I told you he was tall. I think about a foot of that is neck. He's probably really only five foot four. And the neck pushes him into, you know, point guard status. At least eight to nine inches. Minimum. Easy. I heard, I think it was either Stu or uh, Pat that asked this the other day. I think it was last week. Like, does the guy own another shirt? For real. Does he own any other shirts? He's always wearing the same shirt. It's that light blue shirt, right? And he's got it rolled up at the arms and, and has he's sweated through it. Of course, I don't even know. That could be the old sweat. It's just like in the shirt now and it's just constantly there. It's possible. Except for when it's cold outside and then he puts on a, uh, a tan V-neck vest mm. over top of the blue shirt. Ugh. I'm not even going to get into the poetry thing that he. You read any of the poetry he apparently wrote? No. Well, Tank, you're not going to like it because it doesn't rhyme. First no. of all, he's immediately disqualified. Right. But he talks about, I don't know, some like literally like a cow, I believe, like an actual cow giving him a Brazilian wax job, like or something. What? Yeah, like he want. I don't know. He want. I've never understood poets. Okay, so. At least those who don't rhyme. What? I'm sorry. I just saw that headline. Yeah. So there's that. Then there's also the dead cow cult, I think, or something. That was the hacker group that he was a part of, which also, not for nothing, did you hear MySpace lost all of its old photos and data? It just got corrupted in a server migration. Oh, no. The day after the the 
the Beto was a hacker expose came out. Yeah, he was apparently a member of the the oldest hacking group in America, some dead cow cult is what they called themselves. And apparently the reporter for Reuters knew this, but had discovered this while he was covering Beto, uh, who, as I understand it, is less Hispanic than Elizabeth Warren is Native American. Okay. Beto, a.k.a. Robert Francis O'Rourke, he um, was part of this hacking group that the reporter for Reuters found out about and agreed to withhold the information until after the Senate campaign was over in order to get a sit-down confirmation with Beto. So, por favor, Beto, please confirm for me. And I did sound kind of Russian. I don't know. But uh, conf- please confirm. And so they, they cut a deal. We'll give you the sit-down confirmation and everything, but you got to hold on to that until after the U.S. Senate race is over. And as they said this morning on Beck's show, and they're exactly right, this was information that, that they didn't care if Republicans had withheld from them in deciding, right? Or Because de- it was going to help... And, it was going to help, right? It was going to help Ted Cruz. So they didn't want to harm, they didn't want to harm Beto if it was going to help a Republican. But now you got so many other Democrats out there. Okay, now we'll put it out there. And and Reuters covered. It was really weird. They covered the story this weekend, and, and they put it. The reporter put it out there on Friday, I believe. And I asked him a simple question. He didn't respond, of course. But I asked him. So if you find out that a candidate murdered somebody. But you've you've signed one of these non-disclosure deals, which, by the way, reporters have been doing this for a while. And that was Brian Stelter's response at CNN online when he was like, you know, this is this is normal. The reporters, they get access to these campaigns with the promise that, you know, I'm going to cover the campaign straight news style for my publication. But I'm also going to be collecting all of this other stuff for my big book that I'm going to write after the fact. Think game change. The book Game Change, Heileman and uh, who was the guy that Halperin, the guy that got all the Me Too stuff and he's out of business now. But they wrote that book Game Change about the 08 election. They got access and they had all this extra information in 08 and they didn't publish any of it for voters to see until after the election was over. Obama had won and they kept and then they put all of it out in their book Game Change. And. At the time, this was 08, like at the time, I railed against that because I said, who do you think you are? You are working for these publications. They're paying you to get information that you can publish in their publication. And you sit on certain pieces of information. You're you're deceiving. You're lying to your employer. Oh, well, no, they signed an agreement. The employer's okay with it. Well, then their audience, you're because you're depriving the audience of that publication, that information before they go to vote, which if you are interested in a healthy, you know, civic minded kind of uh, population, then don't you think they should have all the information? So the question I ask, well, all right, let's say you find out a candidate killed somebody, they murdered somebody, never got caught for it. Do you think the public should know that before the election? Or do you withhold that information until afterwards? Right? What if you found, what if you got a candidate 
that people say is the reincarnation of, you know, a Kennedy who apparently, you know, is, you know, driven drunk, fled the scene, fantasizes about running people over with cars and giving Brazilian waxes to cows or getting them from cows or something or other. Would you tell would you give that information to the public so they could determine whether or not well, to be fair, they are trying to brand him as a Kennedy. So he does check a lot of those boxes here. That does make sense, actually, with the drunk driving and the killing people. Anyway, the uh, do you tell people? It's it's completely unethical. Well, he signed this deal. No reporter should sign a deal like that. That's unethical. If you are a reporter who signs a deal to get special access, unfettered access to a political campaign with the express condition that you don't print any of this unflattering stuff until after the race is over, you're unethical. The whole deal is unethical. I shouldn't believe anything you are writing. Um, There's an overnight duo on radio who refers to him as Skater Bob. (laughs) I call him Skateboard Jesus sometimes. Do you ever see that video of him? Skating across the stage, the skateboard. It was so bad. It makes me wonder if he actually ever did skate. He was in a, apparently he was in a punk rock band as well, and they dressed up as, they were furries. Oh. Yeah, so they would get dressed up in like these mascot outfits, basically, and then play punk music. They were awful. Just awful. The dude, he comes from, he's, dude's a, he's a, you want to talk about white privilege? Like, that, that's him, right? Son of a judge. That's how he got out of the DUI and fleeing the scene of an accident. Um, married a billionaire. Uh, the long neck. What does this say? The long neck politician. No, I'm not. I'm not. Oh, that's too soon, Jeff. Yeah, that's too soon. How about that Rory McIlroy Irish winning the golf championship on St. Patrick's Day? Congratulations. That was an awful Irish brogue. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, Beto. I don't understand the deal with jumping up on the countertops. It's. I also don't understand the, the over-animated hand gestures. <laughs> but I... But I bet Trump does something on that. <laughs> oh, goodness. All righty. Um, where was I? The Supreme Court. That's right. Hey, you want a uh, supremely awesome security system, surveillance camera system? Uh, then get in touch with SCW Security. It stands for Security Camera Warehouse, SCW. And they started as simply a warehouse, right? They had the components and the cameras, and they would ship them out to... Uh, clients, tens of thousands of clients all over the world, everybody from you know major multinational corporations to government agencies to private individuals and churches and you know small businesses. Uh, and in doing that for several years, years and years, they've been uh, able to grow. And as people realized, holy mackerel, these are really great systems for great deals, their reputation uh, spread and more and more people then started finding them on the on the Googling and the, the searching and such. And they then said, you know what? We're just an online-based uh, warehouse. We need to take it to another level. Right? So that's when they started doing advertising beyond uh, the Internet. 
and they they we partnered up with them here and they started doing installations and now folks who you know WWNC listeners you guys have been on sort of the front lines here of of learning about SCW as they've gotten bigger and bigger uh and their reputation has gotten uh better and better and more widespread than ever before SCW security these are top-of-the-line systems. they got great cameras, great clarity. Go to their website, scwsecurity.com, and you can see uh, the demonstrations that they have. You can see the clarity of the video, and they'll explain to you why cameras, yes, cameras are great. The, the, uh, the industry, the camera industry has uh, gotten very, very good. The prices have come down. But if you're feeding really great camera information, basically, to a component that is not equipped to handle it, because the components have not come far enough technologically, you're going to end up with, with blurry images. And a lot of these companies sell you the camera, and they never talk about the components. And that's, that's equally as important, if not more so. SCWsecurity.com. See what I'm talking about? Head on over there. SCWsecurity.com. High-quality HD footage means the difference between a blurry image and a conviction. So Elizabeth Warren, running for uh, president... She's a U.S. Senator from Massachusetts, Democrat. She said, quote, on the uh, talking about the expansion of the Supreme Court, the U.S. Supreme Court, she said, it's not just about expansion. It's about depoliticizing the Supreme Court. So pack. So here is another example of it. Packing the Supreme Court, you see, with Democrats. Makes the high court depoliticized. It's a five, four split. Right. You would think you would think that they are down like eight to one. Right. Like they have only a single voice on the Supreme Court, much like Republicans have just a a a single voice on the North Carolina Supreme Court. Thanks to the Democratic governor making all of the appointments of Democrats. Right. But you don't hear anything about independent judiciary right now in North Carolina. All of the fake outrage over uh, over uh, you know the, the independent judiciary and fair courts and nonpartisan judges and all of that crap that Democrats were piping to you via their allies in the media, it's all gone. They have a six to one majority on the state Supreme Court, and you hear nothing about it, nothing. Just like I always say, elections are about what the media make them. And that election in 2018, the media made it about the independent uh, judiciary. Well, now, Pete, really, the Democrats made it about that. You see why I always say when Democrats and media, but I repeat myself. That's why I say it. Because when Democrats decide what they want an election to be about, the media makes it about that. They make it about that issue. And if the Democrats don't want there to be an issue that gets a lot of coverage in an an election, the media will make that happen for them as well. It is up to the Republicans to force the media into covering a topic, and usually it only occurs because a Republican does something that is so PR stunty or says something in a debate, and that doesn't, by the way, get as much traction at the state level as it does the national level, which is, well, by the way, what Donald Trump is able to do with his Twitter account and what Donald Trump is able to do every time he gets in front of a TV camera. 
and the media can't stop watching him because they think, oh, my God, this guy's crazy. We're going to keep – because I, I thought the same thing. He's going to say something so stupid that everyone's going to be like, oh, we can't have this kind of loose cannon. And they just keep giving him more and more time. And <laughs> right? But what you don't realize is he's actually conveying the messages to people who are like, thank God someone finally said it. The gatekeepers. See, they only act as gatekeepers for some things that they want to gatekeep, you know? It's not just about expansion, Warren says. It's about depoliticizing the Supreme Court. Every single Democrat at the state and the federal level, if if this if this kind of scheme was being proposed by Republicans, every Republican at the state, it, probably even local levels, but state and federal levels, would be asked their opinions about this, would be asked to defend this kind of norm-shattering abuse. It's still early. I'm sure it could totally happen, though. But she says it's a conversation worth having, Elizabeth Warren says. It's a conversation worth having. Oh, but my favorite part, the Senate's village idiot, Maisie Hirono, offers up her wit and wisdom. I'll tell you what she said up next. The Pete Callender Show on WWNC. The Pete Callender Show. Listen, hotshot, I'm going to tell you something right now. I don't care for you or for the putrid sludge you're troweling out. Monica says, oh, geez, Trump's going to mock the flailing arms of Beto. And the media will say he's mocking the disabled. Well, it will look kind of similar. Well, no, it won't, because when Trump was mocking the disabled reporter guy, he did the arms, you know, pinched in close to the center of the chest, and he folded down the the arms in sort of the, you know, like face down, like at a 90-degree angle, down from the forearm kind of look. Yeah, the Beto, wrists. Yeah, with the wrists bent all the way in at the hinges. He did that. Which he obviously was, and I had this fight with everybody before, there's no need to fight about it again, but he was obviously, yes, quite obviously mocking the disabled guy. Um, But no, to mock Beto, Beto's arms fully wingspan out uh, extended and constantly moving in big windmill kind of thing. I'm frankly amazed nobody has gotten hit by him, you know? A guy who uses his hands and like that much and has a wingspan that long, think about that. Dude's wingspan's like seven feet wide. By the way, did you happen to catch the video of the Australian racisty guy that got egged in the back of the head by the seventeen year old? Yeah. The the guy was like, you know, yay, good, the New Zealand thing happened. And so yeah, he's a racist. And so some kid walks up, 17-years-old guy walks up behind him and takes an egg and just smashes it on the back of the guy's head. Guy turns around and just clocks the 17-year-old. And the left is like, he hit a child. The Pete Callender Show on WWNC. This is the Pete Callender Show on News Radio 570 WWNC. 
We may have stumbled on the answer here. Thank you, Monica. I didn't even realize it when I said it. But last hour, I said, what's up with Beto and the, all of the ha- wild hand gesturing? And, like, I'm amazed that he hasn't seriously injured somebody. Maybe that's why he gets on the tables. Monica wrote that. That's it. We cracked the code. He gets up there, so he's above everybody, both physically and intellectually and emotionally and societally, you know, positionally speaking. But he gets up there, so he, he minimizes the risks of injuring people. I will also point out, Democrats are going to—they're going to have to find somebody that's tall enough to stand on the stage with Trump, you know? Because Trump's a pretty tall guy. And that, you know, that matters when you're standing next to somebody and one guy's tall and then the other one's not so tall. It's like this guy looks like a bigger guy, you know, and Beto's tall. Do they got any short people running? How tall's Pooty, uh, Buddy Gig, Booty Gig, whatever. How tall is that guy? All righty. So the uh, Senate idiot. Maisie Hirono, Democrat from Hawaii. And by the way, if you doubt me on that, just go listen to her. Okay, just go find any audio video clips you want and just listen and you it will be confirmed uh, that she is not very smart at all. I'm amazed that she is an actual U.S. senator. But after all, Congress is a representative body of us. They truly are. Okay, so the. Uh, She says the court should not be a court that you could figure out who the Republican judges are and who aren't. The court should not be a court that you can figure out who the Republican judges are and who aren't. So just have a court packed with Democrats, you see. (laughs) All right, there you go. That's the solution. She said, the debate. Oh, I'm sorry. That's another quote from Brian Fallon. Uh, So, yeah, so that's the that's the extent of her uh, of her wisdom being lent to this story that uh, the court should not be a court that you can figure out who the Republican judges are and who aren't. Um, Wouldn't you just assume that and the, the, the true irony there is that the only judges you ever really see that break with their uh, what what is perceived to be right their ideological compadres those tend to be the republicans right it's always like there's a 4-4 split in anthony kennedy which way will he go now i guess what uh what's his face roberts is uh, john roberts the chief justice now he's going to try and fill that role oh which way am i going to vote oh nobody knows i'm the swing voter it's always the lefties that are always in lockstep with each other. But Maisie is so worried that people are going to be able to determine who the Republican judges are and who are not, right? That that's the concern. Which ones are the Republicans? Hmm. Well, look for ones that tend to follow, uh, you know, interpretivism as a judicial philosophy and, you know, the not versus non-interpretivism, which to me is backwards, but like the labels are backwards. But the idea that uh, you you take the founders' words, right, originalists, like like that's the way you find out who the Republican judges are. 
if you want to find judges that make up law, like that's a pretty good bet those are your Democrat judges. The ones who are like, we think that somebody may have written this one word, but we have a different meaning that we would like to see the word have, and so we're going to use that. New meaning. And just divine new law when it suits our agenda. Those tend to be the Democrats. Okay, that's called judicial activism. But I love this idea that Maisie's just going to be completely perplexed, you know. I don't know why we have to have a court that you can figure out who the Republicans are and who aren't. I'd rather them all just be Democrats and you don't have to even worry about it. Uh, Then there's Brian Fallon, a former Hillary Clinton aide who runs Demand Justice. That is a lefty group that is uh, working to get leftists onto the courts so they can legislate from the bench and to prove all of the unconstitutional measures passed by any Democrat-controlled body. Quote, the, de- the debate is quickly moving past the question of whether Democrats should seek to reform our courts to the question of exactly what type of reform to pursue. This is, this is what I mean. It's, it's never enough for these people. It really isn't, is it? Look at the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals. Covers North Carolina, Virginia... What else? South Carolina part of that? I forget. Um, Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals was one of the most conservative courts in America. And by the time Barack Obama, when, it, when Barack Obama took office, one of the most conservative courts. And by the time he was done, it was one of the, it is now only it. It is only behind the Ninth Circuit in its liberal opinions. That's that's the influence that the Democrats had on the courts. See, conservatives, limited government people, libertarians, Republicans, folks generally speaking on the right have always been aware of the importance of the courts because we see the way the left bastardizes them at all levels, all levels. The left uses black-robed lawyers as a super legislative body to do things that they can't get done In legislative bodies, because the legislative bodies are accountable to voters, right? Courts, not so much, especially in states or at the federal level where they're appointed, and especially when they're appointed for life. So you get a bunch of left-wing lawyers put robes on them, and then they get to sit in judgment of what language means and what the people who wrote the laws really meant when they said that, you know, you— For example, you cannot discriminate based on sex. And the the lefty lawyers in robes, they say, well, when you said sex back in the 70s, what you really meant was gender identity. And the lawmakers who wrote the law at the time say, no, we didn't. We meant male and female. We meant sex, male and female. And it doesn't matter. The lawyers want to reinterpret it. The lawyers view the courts as the vehicle for progress, to move the country in directions towards justice or social justice, depending on whatever we need. And the the right does not believe that. The right believes that when the lawyers, or sorry, the lawmakers write a law and they say, we want to ban X, or we want to regulate why, or whatever it is, that you take the literal meaning of the text of the law. 
and you say, okay, these people wrote this law. What were their thoughts at the time? Why were they writing it this way? Why did they use these words? And if the law says we want to ban X or we want to regulate Y, well, that means they were looking to ban X and to regulate Y. It doesn't mean that you get to redefine that X is actually Z. You don't get to say that now. Judge, this is the difference, right? There's a difference in judicial philosophy. And so he's now saying Brian Fallon, Hillary's uh, former aide, who now runs Demand Justice, um, that it's now that we have to reform our courts. The only, it, Democrats already know it has to be done. The only question is what type of reform to pursue. This is what Democrats do when they lose. They blow up the rules. They change the rules however they need to. By the way, this isn't the only thing, you know. There is another um, uh, effort uh, underway. You know how many states have now signed on to that suicide pact? Uh, sorry, the uh, compact, the interstate compact on the Electoral College votes. There are enough states now that control that, that are in the suicide pact of 181 Electoral College votes. That's, that's where that stands right now. You need, what, 270 to win? And they've got 181 Electoral College votes pledged via this suicide pact. This is what North Carolina Democrats want to get us in on. If they ever get back in control of the legislature with a Democrat governor, this is what Democrats in North Carolina want to do. They want to turn over all of the Electoral College votes to the biggest states. Whoever gets the popular vote, we give them our Electoral College votes. So to make it a, to make it a national election versus 50 individual state elections, in a, in a further disregard of founding intent, a further erosion of federalism, right? Further drift from the purpose of the system and the enshrinement of states' rights to govern themselves and to not be completely taken over and ruled by a national government. This is what Democrats want to see happen. And make no mistake, the reason they want to see this happen is because they think they can win it. They think they have that control. They would never be proposing such a suicide pact if they knew Republicans were winning the popular vote. Okay, They only make these proposals when they lose. They try to rewrite the rules every damn time they lose. It's, it's really, it's annoying. Guys, you guys are annoying, really, really annoying. And you think, by the way, you think that Republicans are just going to like, oh, okay, well, you know, so be it. I guess we'll just never govern again. Or maybe do you think guys like Donald Trump will turn around and say, okay, I guess I'm going to campaign differently now and in different places. It's really amazing. This is their standard MO, though, all the time. They, they, <clears throat> there is no principled position here on the packing of the courts. They will literally lie to your face about what their principled position is on the matter, depending on whether or not they have the votes necessary to pack the courts with their people. It's why I've, I've said this now 
from the very beginning. It's now going on almost two years. When Democrats say independent judiciary, what they mean is courts filled with Democrats. That's what they mean. There is no such thing as an, quote, independent judiciary for them. I'm just trying to imagine. Here you go. And uh, Sorry, I had. Sorry, I don't. Oh, here it is. Jerry. Trump should just tweet, quote, the Democrats idea to pack the court sounds interesting and McConnell should look into doing that this year. Yeah. See, th- this is what I keep trying to tell Democrats. They're like, oh, you're just a Trump lover. Like, I didn't even vote for the guy, but I understand what's going on here. You people are making it so easy for him. Yes, Jerry says Democrats would freak out if he did that. And he's and absolutely. But you guys realize, like, this is how you got Trump. You keep doing these same things. And maybe it's because you're crazy. I don't know. But you keep doing these same things that, like, okay, well, if you think you're going to pack the courts, then I guess well, I'll just go ahead and pack the courts. And then you go, no, you keep pack the courts. This is American. But you're saying you're going to pack the courts. Well, that's for an independent judiciary. You see, we have to pack the courts. We have to pack them because we're right and you're stupid. That's what they're saying. That's their argument. They won't. I mean, they don't want to say that verbatim, but that's their argument. We have to pack the courts because we're losing. So we got to pack them so we can win, even though we're not really winning. By the way. Dan McLaughlin at uh, National Review, he pointed something out. He said, we have we had four rounds of ideological court packing that occurred in America. Did you know that? Four rounds of this did occur. In 1807, uh, sorry, between 1807 and 1869, four different rounds of this court packing. It direct And directly related to that, we had a civil war triggered in good part by the Supreme Court's Dred Scott decision. Let's not do that again, shall we? How about that? Let's not go down that path. And lefties, if you really are interested in going down that path, then I would just recommend that we have an amicable split right now. And let's just do it. Let's just do an asset allocation. Yeah. Um, Have an arbitrator come in, split us all apart. Uh, You know, some states are going to, you know, you guys get these monuments and uh, you guys get these coastlines, whatever. Just split up the assets. Uh, No kids to worry about. So everybody goes their their separate ways. Because uh, I just think, like, you guys are, you're pursuing a a course that is very, very dangerous. And a lot of the people, and I've said this before, there are a lot of people, I think, that are, that are, egging on a situation that they think will never touch them. They think that they will be able to to foment iconoclasm, to say it euphemistically, war, to say it another way, that it, you can foment. And there, there are people on the right that are happy to oblige you. Trust me. They want to oblige you. But everybody's in this, like, flexing mode, like, oh, we're totally going to do it. Oh, yeah, that's what we should do. We should totally do this. And you just keep pushing each other's buttons. And at some point, you end up with what you've been egging on. And a lot of these people think that, oh, it's you know going to be some other place, some other people, and then I'll just you know be left in charge after all the fighting's done. Yeah, good luck with that. That's never how that stuff goes. 
Um, yes, Angela says, who said that the definition of insanity is doing the same thing every time, expecting a different result? Is that Einstein who said that? Uh, Amos says, Pete, no member of the legislature can be dumber than Hank Johnson. Oh, yes, the Guam. He's afraid Guam is going to tip over because of the Marines being on the island. Uh, I think we can both be right, Amos. Maisie Hirono is the Senate idiot, and Hank Johnson would be the House idiot. He's over in the House. He's a state representative or a, a U.S. representative for the state. So uh, we can both be right. They're both morons. The Pete Callender Show on WWNC. The Pete Callender Show. He says that he wants to talk about big picture stuff. And I'll be honest, I have little or no idea what that means. So probably bad. News Radio 570, WWNC, a reminder, we have freaks that are going to be in the studio. They're sports freaks. They're harmless, mainly, uh, unless you're standing between them and a jam. All right, uh, 800-715-4755. What's that? That is the number for Raymond Marks. Um, think about everything that has happened in the economy, the markets. Uh, you got retirement landscape changes. Uh, for example, 2019 rule changes for Social Security, interest rate changes, new tax laws, market uncertainties. All of this stuff impacts your plans for retirement, right? At Raymond Marks Financial, they'll work with you to help better understand your unique financial situation, your personal goals for the long road ahead. And then they will show you how a custom, comprehensive retirement plan can help get you on the right path towards achieving your personal lifestyle and your financial goals in your retirement. Think of it like uh, you ever see those TV shows, you know, uh, where they take a car and they customize the car. It's like that. Like you want some uh, you want some big flames on the side of your retirement vehicle, you know, uh, or maybe like a big scoop on the front of the uh, hood. You know, maybe go convertible or something, maybe dual exhaust on the vehicle, whatever. Whatever your retirement vehicle needs, they're going to customize it for you, but except without all of the welding. All right. Um, so they show you these plans so that you can be sure that in your retirement you're going to have an income stream generated. So you're not just living off of savings and then just dwindling all of that money down until, well, who knows, right? Because what happens if your retirement lasts for 30 years? It's the longest period of unemployment most of us will ever experience. It's time to do something different. Take action, take responsibility for your retirement. Uh, call Raymond Marks for a complimentary retirement readiness review or go to one of his two up, uh, upcoming complimentary retirement dinner workshops. He's got one on Tuesday at Hilton Asheville Biltmore Park, the other Thursday. Uh, these are all next week at the Country Club of Asheville. Both are at 6 p.m. Call him at 800-715-4755 or go to his website, RaymondMarks.com. You can register there. Uh, that's Raymond, M-A-R-X.com. So, Ezra Levin says any Democratic presidential candidate who is serious about implementing a progressive agenda has to seriously consider appointing new justices to, quote, unpack the courts. So packing the courts is unpacking the courts, you see. 
a new advocacy group called Pack the Courts was started and is vying to make court reform, quote unquote, a central theme of the next election. The group has raised half a million dollars and aims to spend two million during the next cycle. Uh, the uh, executive director, Aaron Belkin, warned, wasn't that the guy, the principal from Say by the Bell? Anyway, he warned that major progressive proposals like Medicare for All would not survive conservative legal challenges, quote, because the court has been stolen. There you go. That's what they believe. Medicare for All. So they're already FDR worried about this, right? They're worried for the same reason that FDR said he was going to pack the courts. Leftists today say they're going to pack the courts. It's exactly the same reason. These conservatives won't let us do the socialism that we want to do, the unconstitutional things that we want to see done, they won't do. So we, we're going to have to completely corrupt the system in order to make it happen. We can't get our stuff done unless we first take over the courts. And the only way to take over the courts is to pack them like FDR threatened to do. Buddy gig, booty gig, the... Uh, Democratic candidate for president, he's a mayor of South Bend, Indiana, recently entertained a similar proposal in a CNN town hall and said he's trying to stop the Supreme Court from, quote, sliding towards being viewed as a nakedly political institution. Oh, yeah, but packing the courts, that will make it not a nakedly political institution. These people are crazy. These people are insane. Look, the Supreme Court, they are lawyers in robes, okay? They're judges, but they are lawyers wearing robes, and they could be very smart. They could be good judges, good lawyers. They could be bad judges and bad lawyers. They are people, right? And they are appointed for life. You want to do some term limits? I'm okay with term limits, but but here's the thing. Whatever the current if – you, if you stop short of packing the courts and you just do term limits, you're – you're essentially saying that the status quo is okay because the, the principle of the thing is what matters. Right now we have a system where somebody is appointed for life and then they, they either retire or die, and then whoever's the president, they get to make the next appointment. And what you're saying is, well, let's just do term limits. So why? So then the next president, get, you know, so my term ends and whoever's president makes that appointment. How is that any less politicized? How is that any different than a non-term limited system. It's not. You're just shortening the length of service, which I can, I'm for the term limits. I'm okay with the term limits, but don't tell me it's a different principle at play. It's the same principle at play. In fact, I could argue that doing term limits further politicizes it, makes it even worse. Because with a lifetime appointment, you don't have to worry about it anymore. Right? A judge is freed up they don't have to worry about what they're going to do after. This is it. They can actually they can actually rule based on whatever their judicial philosophy is without any kind of other pressure. You term limit judges, now everybody is like, well, what am I going to be doing afterwards? i got to always keep in mind what's happening. Of course, maybe that is the point. Maybe that is precisely what the Democrats are interested in here. The Pete Callender Show on WWNC.
It's 44 degrees in West Asheville. This live weather update is brought to you by T.P. Howard's Plumbing, handling Western North Carolina's plumbing emergencies for 35 years. You can call them at 628-1369. That music means that we've got Jeff Eno from the Weather Channel joining us. What's going on, my uh, Miami Vice brother? What's that? (laughs) The legendary Jan Hammer. (laughs) That's right. Is he still alive? I, I don't know. That's a good question. Um, I was wondering if he had ever done an episode. Was he ever a guest? Because I know a lot of a lot of folks that were on that Miami Vice soundtrack mm-hmm. actually showed up on the show. Phil Collins and, of course, Glenn Fry. Yeah, Smuggler's but, uh, Blues was the name yep. of that episode. Yep. Yep. I know it would be easy to figure out, but every now and again, I want to just, you know, go back and just use the noggin, not use that little square box. And, you know, and, and look stuff up, which I'm going to do eventually, but uh, because I don't know the answer to that. But I don't know. I don't know if he is uh, still around or not. I think that he is. He is. He is. Okay. There you go. We there searched go. the Google machine. There you go. Uh, it's like, <laughs> you know also... what it's like? It's like having Ziggy, to quote another 1980s slash 90s TV show for you. Uh, yes. Do you remember what Ziggy was? Not the cartoon character. No, no, that's uh, that's the little uh, the thing that uh, I, I believe it was. Uh, uh, he's, you know it. Uh, no, he, no, no. Was it was it Harry Dean Stanton? No, no, Dean Stockwell. Yes. On uh, on uh, Quantum Leap. Yes. 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 Al. And it was Al it, had I, the little Ziggy thing. Then he would hit this little. It was I don't know, what, what, what was that thing? It looked like a like a clear glass Rubik's cube flattened yeah. out looking <laughs> yes, thing. It did. It did. Was it Ziggy though? I, I don't. I don't think it was Ziggy because I think they could have gotten sued for that. Um, G- Iggy, Gishy, Gitch. I, I can't remember. Oh, no, I thought it was Ziggy. Iggy. Maybe it was. Maybe it was Iggy. Iggy. Icky, oh, no. Icky Woods. No. No. Yeah. Right. There was <laughs> another, 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 another 80s blast icon. From the past. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, that was a, yeah. Scott Bakula was uh, Sam yes. Beckett. He yes. got trapped in this quantum leap. He was leaping into people's bodies over and over and over again. And, uh, trying yeah, to and so, find his way home. Trying yes. to find, and he did. Well, okay, he did eventually get home, but I uh, won't get. Spoiler alert! Yeah, but I won't get. Well, after what seven seasons or something. Yeah, yeah, and well, it, and I remember that ep- it was an odd episode. It was very odd. Yes, yes. Um, in fact, not, there were a lot of odd episodes. Yes, in that there show. were. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I always think about like the the handheld device. Ziggy or Iggy or whatever it was. Yes, he would like he like this thing would just bleep and whir and buzz yep. at him, and he like could and understand what it was telling him. And he would slap it and, and right. kind of you know yep. yeah yeah this con yeah like he constantly had to beat this thing up in order to get <laughs> yes. answers out of it, and uh, always with a cigar. He yes. always had a cigar. Yeah, yeah, it was like making predictions about how the the future got changed and everything. Um, yep. But yeah, that's what we use our cell phones for, basically, uh, to find <laughs> out this information. It's our very own. That's yeah. right. All the world's information in the palm of your hand, and but, we use it to watch cat videos. By the way, Jan Hammer did make two cameos ah, as, there we a, go. as a wedding musician <laughs> on the show. That's incredible. <laughs> that's great. On Miami Vice. All right. Playing his uh, guitar. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. Uh, all righty. Well, is, uh, is the weather going to be great for us? Yeah. Yeah. Actually, uh, we're looking at a pretty good stretch here. Uh, it looks like by Thursday we may see a stray shower, actually, Wednesday night into Thursday, with the exception of that very 
minuscule chance for the rain. Uh, we're going to stay dry uh, pretty much all the way into the weekend. Uh, we're mostly clear. Now, the temperature's uh, leaving for some folks a little something to be desired. Uh, upper 20s tonight. We should be in the mid-30s. The winds will be decreasing throughout the night. Plenty of sunshine tomorrow, a few clouds and 52. We'll drop back to around 30 Tuesday night. And then get up to around 55 on Wednesday. And we'll start to see warmer temperatures once we get past Thursday. A little more of a, a seasonal feel. And I believe maybe a couple of degrees higher than where we should be. But a nice stretch of weather coming up here. Very nice. All right. I so, think so. To answer the uh, the more pressing matter, uh, a quick Google search. Actually, DuckDuckGo. So it doesn't track my every mo- uh, movement. So, um <laughs> Ziggy, and this is coming from an authoritative source. This is from okay. the quantumleap.fandom.com. They have okay. a wiki page. Okay, Ziggy is the super hybrid computer that okay. runs Project Quantum Leap. It was built by Samuel Beckett and Gucci. Gucci. Okay. Being one of the first creations in the Project Quantum Leap, Ziggy has a sense of humor, which many computers don't. Yeah. Well, good. So, there you, there you. so, so that's what you were thinking. Than, right, than Gucci. Spock. Yeah, right. Gucci yes. was the other scientist or whatever that was part okay. of the Quantum Leap project that built Ziggy and was also back at the home base because Al would pop in as a hologram. And yes. so Gucci, and so he would, have, he would say, Gucci, you know, he would communicate to both Gucci, but Ziggy was the supercomputer. Yes. Okay. It. And apparently you can get a replica of that online. For purchase, I'm quite you sure you could yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for a small price. For a small price, yes. All righty. Uh, Jeff, we got you tomorrow, too? I'll be here. All right, buddy. Jeff Eno from the Weather Channel. Appreciate you. Thank you. Have a good right. night. Oh, hang on. Before you go, real yes. quick, uh, pick a number between one and five. Uh, three. Okay. That's all. We're gonna. We're, all right. We'll take the third caller, then. There we go. All right. Thank you. Uh, appreciate it. <laughs> Jeff Eno from the Weather yep. Channel. Uh, right now... All right, we're going to take the third caller at 240-9962 or 1-800-570-WWNC. Third caller to the phone number, 240-9962, 1-800-570-WWNC. Pete, why do I got to be the third caller? Well, because I'm asking. No. Uh, Third caller, you get a pair of tickets, single-day passes, single day for one of the days of Merle Fest going on at the end of April 25th through the 28th. we got five pairs of these tickets. We're going to be giving one away each day, different times, single-day tickets, a pair of them, up for grabs to the third caller right now at 240-9962 or 1-800-570-WWNC. You cannot have won anything from us within the last 30 days. All right, from not just this show, but the whole station. All right, and now the call, the lines are open. Third caller, good luck to you and to you. And to you, and to you, and to you. <laughs> All right. Uh, this is from CNBC by Jeff Cox. The recent jump in paychecks has come with an unusual characteristic. Do you know what that unusual characteristic is? As uh, workers at the lower end of the pay scale are actually seeing the greater benefit you don't say average hourly earnings rose three and a half percent in february over the same time period a year ago 
according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics report. That is the biggest gain since April of 2009 and the seventh month in a row that compensation has been 3% or better. Seven months in a row where compensation has been 3% or better. We have our winner, Brett won. Brett won the, uh, the tickets. We will give away another pair tomorrow and every day this week, so stay tuned for your chance to win a pair of single-day passes. Uh, your day of choice, you can pick whichever day you want to go, but one day passes to Merlefest. And Brett won them for today. All right, so back to this labor report. Um, what has this set? What has, sorry, let me start this again. I read for a living. CNBC.com. What has, oh my gosh, really, Pete? What has set this rise apart is that it's the first time during an economic recovery that began in mid-09 that the bottom half of earners are benefiting more than the top half. In fact, about twice as much, according to calculations by Goldman Sachs. The trend began in 2018 and has continued into this year and could be signaling a stronger economy than many experts think. (laughs) So it's one of those unexpected good news stories. Lower-paying industries are finally starting to see some real growth in their paychecks. Low-paying industries, lower-paying industries. You know why that is, folks? Uh, Winston, uh, leftist Winston, if you're – I think it was Winston. Is that Winston? Or some other – I forget their names now. They all run together. Who said, oh – they they said, oh, your understanding of economics comes from a cartoon. Remember that guy? Yeah. Um, tight labor supply, folks. That's why you're seeing these numbers. Tight labor supply. When you don't have enough people to fill all the jobs. I heard another stat uh, before the show today. What was it? That there are actually now more jobs available than there are people unemployed. What does that mean? It's a tight labor supply. There's not enough people. So what happens? We all get to command more for our work, right? We all get, and you've got the ability then to go and get other jobs in other professions. You can go and get a job at some somebody uh, some other place because uh, that place may be willing to pay you more money. Employers are going to have to pay more money to keep good workers. Tight labor supply. By the way, you know what, you know what uh, increases labor supply? That's right, more labor, more people, more workers. You know what uh, helps uh, create more workers? Anybody? Illegal immigration. Very good. That's very good. When you have a lot of people that come into a country. Legally or illegally, by the way, but you have a lot of new people, you have a lot of labor, you end up with more people than jobs, and it allows the employers to keep a lid and to suppress the wages, you see. But when you lock all that down and you're like, no, we're gonna we're gonna make sure we restrict you know the the labor supply, we're gonna manage that labor supply better, so this way people now can Make more money? Yes, exactly, because they can command more uh, more compensation for their services. 
I don't remember if that was in the cartoon. The only cartoon part I remember was supply and demand, and it was about oranges or coconuts or something. But I try to make it easy for our friends on the left who don't really understand a lot of these economic principles. So here's an economic principle, okay? Um, if you eliminate overhead, a lot of the overhead, uh, you can then reduce the cost to, impl- uh, to uh, customers. And that's what the joint has done. It's a revolution in chiropractic care because what they said was let's strip out all of the costs of a full medical facility, all the overhead, all the stuff you got to buy, all the equipment, everything else. And all we're going to do is we're going to focus on chiropractic care that addresses one thing, and that is keeping the spine aligned. Okay, These chiropractors focus on keeping all your vertebrae lined up because they know that's the key, right, that you keep the spine aligned and uh, – it eliminates a lot of the chronic aches and pains that people suffer with. They think they have to suffer with this stuff, and they don't, but they think they do, and it's just natural. It's all the time because if you've been going to a, you know, some other chiropractor, they do all these other things, and it's really expensive. The joint's like, just do the spine. It eliminates so many of these problems. And so you strip out all of those other costs, and what do you have? 59 bucks gets you the wellness plan, which is four visits per month, and you can use them however you want wherever you want, at any of the joint locations. They have two in Asheville. And um, you break it down, it works out to be $15 a visit. And this is not a long-term contract or anything like that. And you don't need an appointment. You just walk on into either of the locations. You don't need insurance, and you don't need a referral from any other doctor. They're open seven days a week. See what I mean? This is way more responsive to patient needs. That's the free market medicine system. That's it. This is, why I, this is why I'm a big believer in the joint. They're owned by North Carolina Chiropractic PC, operated by Mountain Wellness, Inc., thejoint.com. That's the website, thejoint.com. It's relief on so many levels. Um, I'm not going to get to the pipeline stuff today. I wrote about it at the blog. The News and Observer did a story on the uh, governor's pipeline slush fund and connections with the uh, solar industry and what apparently looks like what what is obvious that they used this solar negotiation side issue as leverage to extract concessions including a slush fund out of uh power companies to get their pipeline built in order to win permit approval uh and the governor's office got kind of ticked off at the news and observer uh and then quit responding to them and refused to provide them any uh any comments as if those were any more illuminating than the... Uh, it's actually better to not get a comment, really, because the comments they were giving was just... They were ridiculous. Uh, I also have a story here, though, about teacher pay. What is our rank nationally? It's gotten better, but it's actually even better when you include cost of living. I'll go over those numbers up next. The Pete Callender Show on WWNC. The Pete Callender Show. Right. Okay, so let me get to this quickly. Dr. Terry Stoops from the John Locke Foundation. This week, the National Education Association, Teachers Union, released data from its annual rankings and estimates report. The bottom line here is that North Carolina's average teacher salary of $53,975 Look like you like turned like whipped your head around very quickly at me there, Tank. Um, well, it's so twenty five dollars shy of fifty four grand. 
That is the average teacher pay, fifty-four grand. That salary ranks 29th in America, which is an improvement over last year's ranking of 34th. So North Carolina went up five places in the rankings in one year. Okay. Now, Dr. Stoop says, before I address the shortcomings of these this data that the NEA puts together, he says, I should remind readers that the NEA uses teacher salary research as a means to advance their political and legislative goals. Last year, Alicia Finley of the, uh, of the Wall Street Journal noted that teacher unions disseminate and distort education finance statistics for political gain. She wrote, quote, the NEA encourages its affiliate unions to use its annual state rankings to advocate for higher pay for teachers and more state funding for public schools by showing how your how my state compares to others. The union notes that its North Carolina affiliate uses survey data on average teacher salary rankings and per-pupil expenditure rankings as a vital and main negotiating chip to lobby for teacher raises and increased K-12 education funding. In other words, by playing states against one another, unions hope to drive up education spending across the country. The NCAE... Don't call it a teacher's union, but it is in North Carolina. This is what they do. Okay, so Dr. Stoops, he says he takes their number, does a cost of living index produced by the Council for Community and Economic Research, and then he adjusts the salary averages for cost of living differences. Adjusting those numbers makes a huge difference. North Carolina's cost of living is much lower than the national average. Teacher salaries, therefore, go much further here than in a lot of other states. The low cost of living, combined with significant raises for the teachers over the last five years, has actually pushed North Carolina to 20th in the nation in cost of living adjusted teacher salary. That is the actual number, folks. And actually, that isn't even the actual number because it doesn't include the benefits. But if you want a more accurate uh, depiction of the real story, we're 20th, not 37th. The sports freaks, they're number one in my book, and they're next on News Radio 570 WWNC.